Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we'll continue our look at intercession and see how it allows us to engage with God. As we pray and intercede, it gives God an opportunity to change our heart and open our eyes to His plans and purposes. Part three of Cheryl's message titled, The Power of Intercession. Abraham is seeking through these negotiations to know what is God looking for. When the men go to Sodom, what will make the difference to God? What makes the difference? What amount of righteousness? How many do there need to be to make a difference? You know, How many men does it take to change a light bulb? How many men does it it take to spare a city? How many righteous men? That's where the joke first originated, you know? How many righteous in Sodom are needed to save a city? How many pastors are needed to change a light bulb? How many righteous people are needed to save a city? He starts at 50 and he ends at 10. Now, I think that Sodom was a city that Abraham had an investment in. Think about it. He had taken his trained servants at one point, and he had saved this city. He had exerted energy and time and sacrificed his servants. He knew the king of Sodom. He had fought for the residents. He had restored the fortunes of the people living there. Abraham had seen these people in the best of circumstances, as far as the men of Sodom were concerned. He saw them conquered, broken, desperate people. He saw them in the light of day. However, these people, once secure again and feeling safe, had turned back to deplorable behavior. But that behavior was only seen once the sun went down. A cursory look at Sodom during the day, you wouldn't see it, but what God saw. Abraham's conversation with God, again, begins with the proposition of 50 righteous, going from 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. It's a process. It's a process. As women, we tend to process as we are talking. I think that's why we have to talk so much and why we have more words than men. They kind of sometimes skip the process. They go A to Z. We go A, B, A, D, B, C, A. We are trying to understand ourselves. We are trying to make sense of our circumstances. We are trying to understand others. And we are trying to find out what our place and attitude are to be. 
This is why we have to talk. Um, I've told you this before, but I was recently on the phone with my oldest daughter. She called me up and she says, Mom, this is, what I'm, in fact, this is what she said. Mom, do you have WhatsApp? I get a text. No, get it. I need to talk to you. So I download WhatsApp and she calls me. And, you know, actually we're looking at each other. And she says, Mom, this is the situation. Mom, you know, here are the promises of God. Mom. And I kept trying to get a word in edgewise. I really did. But she was doing all the talking. And by the end of the conversation, she said, thank you, Mom, so much. You always help me. And I realized that my daughter is a psalmist. You know, because that's what the psalms are, aren't they? The psalmist is processing. He starts out with this huge dilemma. How long, O oh Lord? What's going on? Will my enemy always have the upper hand? And by the end of the psalm, he's like, uh-uh. God, you're on the throne. I know you're at work even in this. It's a process. But we need to process. I think too many times people are telling you, skip the process. Don't skip the process. As women, we have to process. You have to process. You have to know the steps. You know, when your husband looks at you and he says, don't cry, and you're crying, does that help? Do you say, oh, thank you. You spoke, and now happiness, automatic, at your world. You know, I always tell Brian, will you let me do this? I'm in a process. I'm working through this. But we need to process. And intercession is a time for processing. But we're processing with God. Which, again, that's where the productivity is. As we process. Through this process, we come to understand and see ourselves, others, circumstances in the light of who God is. God's value system. That's what we see. It changes how we think. I love Psalm 73. It's one of the greatest examples of processing the dilemma, the circumstance with God. Asaph comes into this going, Lord, all I see is that the wicked are prospering and the righteous uh, seem to get nowhere in life. By the end, he's going, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm going to heaven. And thereon, as Jonathan Edwards put it, a frozen plank over the fires of hell. Think about that one for a while. It'll make you happy. In intercession, we participate with God. Intercession puts us on God's team. As we know the plans of God, as we begin to see the justice, the mercy, the righteousness, the goodness of God, we then pray his will and not our own. Intercession, often we start with my will, my will. But as we process, God changes our heart and makes us a participant. So we're saying, all right, Lord, where do you want me to stand? What is my place in your will. You see, prayer, intercession, is not to get our will accomplished, but to bring us into the plans and purposes of God. And that's what happens in intercession. We learn to trust the goodwill of God. 
because we are no longer ignorant of God's work. We are no longer outsiders on God's plan. We are no longer resisting God's plan. Rather, we find our placement in intercession, what we are to do, where we are to stand, and what attitude we are to have. Abraham, after this time of intercession, began to watch, began to look toward the area of Sodom. Intercession stops us from thwarting, hindering, working against the plans of God, and helps us to become actively involved in the accomplishment of God's will on earth. Next, intercession reveals to us the prevailing power of God, Genesis chapter 19. God knows how to deliver the righteous. This is something that Peter speaks about in his second epistle, Jude, in his short epistle, that God knows exactly what is necessary to deliver the righteous from a wicked society, wickedness, the quality itself, and judgment. God knows exactly how much pressure and what to reveal to Lot. I believe that Lot doesn't believe in the wickedness of the place he lives. I used to have this naivety when it came to evil. And I thought my mom was like on such a downer. You know, because she'd say, oh, they're wicked. They're so wicked. And I'd be like, oh, come on, mom, lighten up. Life is good. People are basically good. And she'd be like, Cheryl, people are basically evil. We'd even have fights. No, mom, they're good. Evil. Good. Evil. And she was, she, and before I go to school, she would always say, you're a lamb among wolves. I thought I was a lamb among lambs. But then mom began to pray and I began to see wolves in sheep's clothing. Lot doesn't believe in the wickedness of the place he lives. You know, if you don't recognize the wickedness of men, you're going to put yourself in vulnerable places. The angelic strangers prove the real personality and perversion of Lot's neighbors. If those men hadn't come to town, if Lot hadn't brought them into his house, would Lot know the aggressive, perverse nature of his neighbors? Would he see their obsession with wickedness or their pride or their unrepentant attitude, even was struck with blindness. I mean, these guys are unrelenting, aren't they? They're struck with blindness and they're still trying to find the door to Lot's house and break in. It is Abraham's intercession that makes the difference for Lot. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. He remembered the intercession of Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt, verse 29. In Genesis 19, we see how Sodom has affected Lot. Lot has given up his tent. He's no longer a sojourner like Abraham. He's settling in to Sodom. He is making a claim on this city. He is a resident. He has sought a position in the city gate of Sodom. He seeks to appease the men of Sodom at the expense of his own virgin daughters. His value system is way, way off. 
And we also see that Lot has no authority in Sodom. Though he sought authority, he has no authority. When the men of the town hear him, they resent his interference. Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. And they said, who made you to be a judge over us? When Lot goes to his sons-in-law, they think his warning is a joke. And then we see a hesitation, a reluctancy in Lot to leave Sodom. The angels must take Lot, his wife, and his daughters by the hand and drag them out of Sodom, verse 16. Can you imagine that? He's like, well, you know, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to leave Sodom, even though judgment is coming. It's not only that he is hesitant. Lot has come to love Sodom. Were it not for Abraham's intercession, Lot would die with Sodom. He wouldn't flee. He wouldn't leave. He has to be taken by the hand and dragged out. Then we see in verses 17 through 20 that Lot does not want to go too far from Sodom. The angels say, you need to flee to the mountains. He's like, oh, the mountains, they're so far away. Something might happen to me. Lot, you're about to be pulverized and you're worried about a mountain lion. You're worried about something in the mountains. These are angels that are directing you. He doesn't want to go where the angels direct him. He doesn't trust the angels. He trusts, he trusts himself more than he trusts the angels. Now, he couldn't save himself, and yet he's still trusting. Can I go to Zoar, this little city? It's really close. I really like city life. He wants to choose where he will go. It seems from the text that Zoar was also intended for judgment, but it was spared because Lot wanted to go there. Lot's wife tries to return to Sodom, 24, 26. When it says she turned back, it's not just a lingering look. It's a return, like I forgot to turn the oven off. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Jasmine and I were in Columbia a week ago, and they were telling us about this young girl who was crossing the street when she dropped something, and she turned around to pick it up, and she got hit by a car, and she died. And of course, right after Jasmine hears this story, she's walking across the street right after me, because, you know, I ran, and she goes to run across, and her flip-flop falls off, and she turns around to get it. I'm like, no, you're going to die. You know, I've heard this story. And um, when she turns around, I believe that she's hit by some of the burning sulfur and she's petrified. I've been to Pompeii where Mount Vesuvius, when it erupted, the people were petrified. Uh, they They were turned to stone by the uh, sulfur and the ashes that fell. And it's interesting because they're caught in the very thing they were doing. You know, there's, there's one that's laying down, there's um, ones that are running and they look like statues, but they're actually petrified. 
The work of judgment will not begin until Lot is safely secured away from Sodom. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Verse 22. In verses 24 through 26 of chapter 19, God thoroughly destroys Sodom. It's interesting because there's, um, I can't remember his name, but there's an archaeologist who's born again who has uh, an archaeological digger he did at Sodom. And you could go, I had friends that went for a month and they were able to um, help with this dig. I had a friend who went for a week. I have another friend who gave me a handle from a pot that dates back to this time. And the interesting is there's evidence of severe burning. It looks like Pompeii. And we're told, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, verse 24. God's power is exercised because of Abraham's intercession. It saves someone not deserving of preservation. Frankly, as I read about Lot, I don't like Lot. He'd be on my naughty list if I was Santa Claus. He'd get coal. It doesn't seem like the residents of Sodom did either, does it? It doesn't seem like he's a real likable guy, except for Abraham, Uncle Abraham. He likes Lot, and he seeks Lot's best welfare, even though Lot had chosen the best of the promised land for himself. In fact, Wearsby said it's easier to get Lot out of Sodom than to get Sodom out of Lot. Lot has no value for his daughters. Here's the reasons I don't like him. Lot has no values for, value for his daughters. They are uninformed about what is happening. He seems so self-centered and self-preserving. His daughters are uninformed. And so they think that the end of the world has happened. They don't seem to even have a relationship with their father. And they think that they are preserving mankind. These daughters have been so demoralized. Lot has not been thinking about his family or his daughters in his choices. And they think that incest is the right thing to do. And Lot succumbs to drunkenness. He just wants to escape. He wants to numb himself. And we read that Sodom continues through the illegitimate offspring of Lot's daughters. Moab, which means from the father. Benami, which means son of my kinsmen. Both Moab and Ammon become enemies of Israel. Sodom would have eventually destroyed Lot if God hadn't taken the preemptive move to destroy Sodom. Eventually, Lot would have been destroyed by Sodom itself. Intercession powerfully saves the undeserving, the compromised, the reluctant, the hesitant, the ignorant. In other words, intercession saves people just like us. Intercession saves. You know, Paul says, you know, he's talking about the undeserved, the sinners, the homosexuals, the adulterers. And then he says, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed. 
The difference is God working. Intercession finally brings about the fruit of peace. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, we read, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is another word for intercession. Let your requests be known unto God and the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart and mind. Abraham can observe the smoke coming from Sodom. No Sodom is destroyed, but because of his intercession, he can have peace and know that Lot has escaped, that Lot is safe because he had spoken with the Lord, because he had been given God's word, because he knew God's will, he could be at peace. Intercession allows us to rest in the work, the righteousness, and the mercy of God. Sometimes we intercede for people and they die and we don't know, did they ever receive Jesus? At that point, we can rest in the fact of our intercession. We prayed, we prayed for them and God did the utmost, maybe sending angels at the very end to grab them by the hand and drag them to heaven. This is our rest. This is what gives us peace. Intercession makes all the difference to our demeanor, to our outlook, to our loved ones, to our understanding, to our prayer. Abraham interceded and Lot was saved. But remember, intercession involves preparation to meet with God. Perception of what God knows and what God is going to do. Intercession is bringing productivity to our angst and our sorrows and fears. It is not a substitute for our angst, for our sorrows, or for our fears. It's not a trade-in. It is bringing productivity to. Intercession is how we process all that is going on. And it brings us into participation with God's plan of salvation. It shows us the prevailing power of God on behalf of men. And it gives us the peace of God that passes all understanding. God wants more than simple prayer. He wants to create in each of us the practice of intercession. He wants to make us like Jesus in this world. He wants to bring us into his plans, to give us his perspective, to make us participants, to allow us to see his power and to know his peace. All of this happens as we prepare to meet him in intercession as we make prayer for others a privilege, a feast with God, a conversation, the highlight of our lives and our days. Moses said to the people of Israel, what other people is there like you who has a God who cares, who has a God who sees, 
who has a God who answers prayer. What other people are like the people of the Lord? We have a God who knows, a God who sees, a God who will take our angst, our sorrow, our fears, and make them productive seeds for a harvest of joy. God wants to make us intercessions. Will you join the feast? Intercession is a vital part of the Christian life. It allows us to rest in the work, righteousness, and mercy of God. As we intercede, we are entrusting people, circumstances, and situations to God by believing that He is working His perfect plan for their good. Intercession brings us rest and peace, knowing that God sees our sorrows, fears, and concerns, and that He is at work. Intercession allows us to draw near to God and process all that is going on, standing on His promises and building our faith. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's unfailing word as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.